Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> Friends, family, loved ones, hello. <laughs> I don't think any of my uh, family and loved ones. Oh, I suppose my friends are loved all ones. All the listeners are loved ones, Dean. What are you talking about? <laughs> we love you all. I love you all. I don't know about Dean, clearly. Uh, George, you love them all, don't you? Hell yeah. <laughs> I L-U-V love them. Which okay. is like, yeah, it's surface love, you know? I like, like you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> Coach George, Flex Coach George, I think this is round four on the Flex podcast because we like, like you so much. Is it? Maybe. Something like that. A face. <laughs> it's a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a minute there. <laughs> now, uh, today, we will be talking about all the fun stuff. We have a good podcast laid out for you. Maybe Dean or George, don't mind, you guys can introduce the topic. Well, George is the guest, mate. What are we talking about? Oh, George is the guest. That's, see, this is the cool thing, right? Normally when we're hosting, we introduce the guest. We introduce potentially the topic, like we might just, you know, slide, yeah. slide it in there. But because we're all part of the team here, we can just be like, George, what's up, mate? <laughs> Take the reins. What are we talking about You today? do all the work today, George. I had two ciabatta rolls, a chicken breast, and 350 grams of potato for dinner. It was pretty oh. satiating. Uh, Riveting yeah. material. Is that your choice of bread, ciabatta? No, I just limited. I went around to Tesco's Express and that was all they had. Absolutely appalling, I know. Okay. Yeah. Look, I don't mind a ciabatta. As long as it's got butter on it. Speaking of cheer butter, nice segue. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so the topic I wanted to dive into today uh, is all revolving around amenorrhea. Um, now, I could dive straight in with a brief introduction to what amenorrhea is, amenorrhea is, but it's something that plagues quite a lot of the female dieting cohort. It can be experienced from gen pop clients all the way through to comp prep clients. We, of course, see it more predominantly in contest prep clients, taking things to that far extreme level of condition. Um, but essentially what amenorrhea is defined clinically is the absence of menstruation for one or more cycle. Now, I find this a little bit iffy because loss of one menstrual cycle can be predominantly put down to a lot of other external variables. It doesn't straight away mean that you have amenorrhea or you have this uh, issue underlying. Um, so for me, it's the repetitive nature of tracking your menstrual cycle and seeing the absence of menstruation over the course of an elongated period of time, sort of two to three cycles at least, before we kind of predominantly say, okay, maybe we're in an amenorrheic state now. The reason for the amenorrheic state is due to the lack of, the, of sexual, sexual hormones circulating in the female physiology. Uh, so predominantly we're thinking about uh, estrogen, progesterone, FSH and LH. And in this in this environment, what happens is we see the suppression of the female fertility system and the ability to conceive is all suppressed. Now, this comes down to essentially... We have three different types of amenorrhea that we can really discuss. Now, the first is really not important, which is just primary amenorrhea, which refers to pre-pubescent females, obviously not having their menstrual cycle until they go through puberty to enact that process in the body. Then we have secondary amenorrhea, which is the main topic of conversation here today, and then menopause later on in life, which are all revolving around being in an amenorrheic state. Now, the thing with secondary amenorrhea is that it's driven by 
the energy availability you have inside your body. So we have something that we can determine as, say, critical energy availability threshold, which is similar to, you can kind of think of it as a similar line to your maintenance calories, right? So there's a certain amount of energy you need to consume and you need to burn off to stay at prescribed maintenance and maintain where you are. There is also a set baseline of energy requirement to drive the initial uh, physiological processes of the of the body. So when we go into a state of being in a hypercaloric state or a deficit, there's a potentiation that potentially we could, across this timeline, cross that critical energy availability threshold. And when we do so, the body prioritizes survival mechanisms over reproductive. If you think back to the caveman area, uh, where you know things like famine, could, you know, elongated famines could exist, this is kind of a survival mechanism to prioritize energy to, say, the vital organs as opposed to reproductive system. Again, if you're in that state, you're not getting enough food. Unlikely, you're in the right frame of physiology to support another life form, right? <laughs> So you um, probably need to make sure that your heart is working and your brain is working before you do that, right? More importantly, but I guess <laughs> the brain doesn't always work in that instance anyway. Yes, that's true. <laughs> now, when we look at the what, what is driving this process is that suppression of the hypogonadal axes, which then starts the inhibitory downstream effect of changing the way that hormones work within the physique. Now, one thing to note in gen population comparison to comp prep clients is the level of extremeness that we see in corporate clients is that the vast majority are going to cross this critical energy availability threshold at some point in their timeline right it's kind of inevitable to achieve the end goal with general population clients typically they're not chasing such extreme goals and perhaps there's a less likelihood of crossing that threshold now the actual marker itself can be defined by an equation where you look at um your energy coming in divided by the caloric into uh, sorry the energy coming out then calculating divided by your free fat mass now the issue with that equation is the free fat mass part of that equation not everyone has access to dexa facilities to get a semi-accurate look of what they have and not everyone gets in contest shape where you can look at the individual with as relatively little body fat as possible and take an assumption of where that weight actually is so with general population clients you can't really estimate how much you know free fat mass uh, fat free mass they have on their physique so it makes it very hard to kind of calculate a baseline here the other factor that is a problem is there's so much genetic variance between people to people person to person where the critical energy availability threshold lies now i can talk anecdotally on my fiance here three years ago when she was coached by someone else she started her first natural prep two weeks in she was meant to have a uh, period like normal lost didn't regain it for 18 months post that point so straight away two weeks in a deficit and she's already seen an abnormality in frequency change straight away but some people on the other extreme of that the other ends of the data that will go into contest prep i think hattie boydo is someone who comes to mind she did a post about this recently about how she didn't lose her menstrual cycle on prep she's kind of an outlier on the end there that pushes to the extremities of contest condition but doesn't see that critical energy availability threshold passed so she doesn't see that change in the physiology of our reproductive system now the issues we see in and around amenorrhea lie now in uh, heart health brain health and reproductive health predominantly before we jump into that there are a few symptoms and things that need to be highlighted that are going to make it somewhat harder for people to understand when they are potentially coming into this amenorrheic state. Now, the symptoms of amenorrhea or low estrogen are loss of libido, uh, changes in vaginal mucus, uh, potentially anxiety and depression, joint uh, soreness, a whole heap of other little external variables here. But the, the definitive metric of this is all of those symptoms can also be affected by other metrics of life. 
Mm. Any factor of that allostatic load of all those stresses going on, uh, shitty work week or whatever it is, can massively affect libido, mood, perception. Mm. So it's not, I don't want people to listen to this thing, oh, I've got three or four out of those symptoms, I must be a menorrhic. They can all be affected by so many different things, which makes it hard to pinpoint the symptoms of amenorrhea until essentially you lose your cycle. That's kind of like the definitive marker that kind of secretes this without looking at blood work prior. Yeah, yeah. We um, had Zoe Knight on the podcast recently talking about um, the silent killer, which was blood pressure. And if I can draw a comparison here, she was saying that there's not always really obvious symptoms to high blood pressure until you drop dead. And same thing with low estrogen as well. Like there, there are some symptoms we could look out for, but we could also excuse them with, I don't know, being stressed or not being attracted to your partner or whatever. Um, until you get to a stage years down the track where you're like, oh, shit, my bones are brittle now. Mm. (laughs) Um, And also as a female who never wants children, if I'm to ever get too lean where I lose my period, which has happened to me at points in time, I'm like, woohoo, no period. Like, I love this. But there is a problem um, because I don't want babies. So even if I'm like, hey, if this affects my menstrual health, like, I'm sorry, my menstrual health, my fertility health, like, we don't care. I don't want babies anyways. Mm. But there are other reasons why we should care. And so I love that you're bringing up brain and heart health, um, George, because it matters. The and- scope, the scope mm. of amenorrhea issues goes past just the physical. It also ties into psychological as well. Um, yeah. it, the, the brain health and the psychological issues are kind of semi-interlinked. Um, but when we look into heart health, we know that firstly, let's look at what estrogen does at the heart. And we know that via genomic and non-genomic pathways at the estrogen receptor, it plays a vital role in cardiovascular homeostasis, so the maintenance of, of optimal health and function. When we take estrogen out of that equation, it's now not able to bind that receptor and drive in that signaling that it needs to to drive this process. We now start to see a downregulation in heart health over time. When we look to, if we want to look at clinical data that's going to help with amenorrhea, the data we have on amenorrhea is all relatively short term, looking at the individuals to getting them out of that process. But we do have an abundance of long term data in that third cohort of people that experience amenorrhea in the post in menopause in that postmenopausal window. So all of the long term data on being in an amenorrhea state for prolonged periods of time is better. It's well versed and well looked into in that field, that cohort. And we can see that in postmenopausal studies that the increased cardiovascular risk, um, cardiovascular disease risk and hypertension increase drastically once they go through menopause and estrogen is now not present. So we know that estrogen plays a vital role in heart health. So tying that back into the short term, when you go into the amenorrheic state, that damage is starting to be done. It might not be as drastic as when you're in the long term state of menopause, but those effects are still starting to take place. And if you're going to be dieting over the course of your lifetime for whatever reason, and potentially you are someone who has quite a a high critical energy availability threshold, so it's easy to surpass that, you're potentially going to be crossing into this amenorrheic state at multiple windows of time of your life. That damage will potentially accumulate, which kind of ties back into the repetitive comp prepper that we've spoken about before. Mm. Now, when we look at brain health, we know that the the data is somewhat conflicting in estrogen's role in the brain. But when we look at psychoneurotic uh, disorders like Alzheimer's, dementia, and depression, they're all extremely well studied. And there's a big consistency in all of those issues that is lack of E2 in the brain. We can see there's a lack of estrogen circulating within the brain at the receptor sites. 
that all correlate directly to the menopause studies that show increases in chances of Alzheimer's, dementia, depression, exasperating once they go through the menopause. So we know that there is a correlation between the two and that it is deleterious effects to having low estrogen, not binding at the receptor sites in the brain, specifically E2 for that one. So there's this big correlation between the two. We know that heart health, brain health can massively be affected through that lack of estrogen. Hmm. Again, the issue here is that we're talking about a scratch that's made repetitively over 10, 15, 20 years that turns into a massive scar versus, you know, an ax coming in and creating a wound that you fix immediately. And people don't do it the due justice that it deserves, which is to to recognise that, hey, this may seem insignificant now, but it will be significant later. Well, I guess like it's like so many things. If someone is overweight, for example, for a short period of time, probably not going to raise their risk for things 20 years from now but if we're overweight over long long periods of time 20 years down the track we're like oh shit it's all catching up with me now yeah but yeah. Is, this is the problem with these injuries though or the i said the injuries because i was thinking of an injury these issues is that like a marathon runner i've got a small niggle i've got a larger niggle i've got shin splints i've got fractures in my shins like they, and there's always signs it's just that the signs typically don't have the weight to push somebody to make a change Hence the podcast, because we think it's important because we see this in our competitive cohort of, of clients, George, um, also yours, because you are the specialist with the females. And that is that, you know, people want to repeat competition all the time without any consideration for, for what that may mean. And then similarly, people that are yo-yo dieting for the rest of their life because they haven't been taught sustainable behaviours, what that may mean. Yeah, let's also not forget that when people get really lean, including females who are too lean for too long or too often, it's usually glorified and congratulations, you look so fantastic. Or maybe they're doing competitions and winning trophies and it sort of feeds into this cycle where they're congratulated for being in this state. And pressure to sustain it. Sure. And a lot of people work in the industry and they feel like a lot of their success is tied to their bodies. And if they aren't maintaining this extremely lean physique, then, you know, what's going to happen to their clients? Maybe they'll be respected less or people won't listen to them as much. Um, or maybe even their identity is tied to being mm. so extremely lean. And so there, there is a lot of pressure and reasons why women stay too lean for too long or do it too often and put themselves in, in these harmful cycles. And I guess it's not just as easy as being like, did you know it's not that healthy for you? You <laughs> should put on some weight. There's obviously... Uh, a lot of work that needs to go into being okay with that. Um, but hopefully what we're talking about today can highlight some of the problems and motivate change. I think what something else is trying to correct the amenorrheic state in those individuals that you're speaking about, Lizzie, that have been constantly stuck in that cycle of because of whatever external stresses or reasons to keep them in that state of being that lean and being in the amenorrheic state. The process of reversing that extends the the longer you spend prolonged in that state the longer the time it is going to be to correct it and the more extreme you have to push yourself to correct that state so they are hindering themselves even further in the long run Mm. something that i've been working on anecdotally with uh females that experience amenorrhea quite frequently in in quite a short period of time and coming to dieting we know that critical energy availability threshold can be somewhat manipulated by your free fat mass but it comes down to more predominantly those genetic variables that aren't going to change. They're tied into your makeup. 
one thing you can do over a elongated period of time is going through surplus phases, increasing your prescribed maintenance energy target over time. And you look at the distance between these two, keep increasing that maintenance baseline, keep increasing that maintenance baseline, creating more runway for you to go into a deficit and pull off body fat to then inevitably reach that genetic factor that is the critical energy availability threshold. Mm. Oh. So going through a process long-term that's not just about dieting down for, you know, you might not reach your ideal body composition or the look you want, but you might start to touch on that aminoric state and you know it's not good for health, right? So let's come back out of that now and look at the long-term goal. Let's start building calories back up. Let's get that energy maintenance nice and high and create the runway to essentially pull off more body fat in that process. Of course, this is not tying into uh, combat athletes. This is looking at more gen populations because if you go into the combat athlete state, you're going to pass a point where body fat gets that low. You're going that way. When you're talking about um, bringing calories up to raise maintenance, are you suggesting like a, a recovery diet where we're intentionally gaining some body fat in that phase? Or are you talking more like a reverse diet where we're trying to bump calories up as high as possible without weight gain? About changing the physique, changing the structure of physique, holding more muscle mass, being a larger individual, okay. your maintenance is higher. So going through a growth phase and actually adding tissue, obviously that doesn't necessarily tie into someone's goals. Maybe a gen pop client doesn't want to gain new muscle. Maybe they don't want to look bulky and masculine in inverted commas. But there has to be the conversation to say, hey, if you want to look this certain way, we have to try and create the environment to make this more habitual and easy to get to without causing these issues. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, have you seen much difference... Uh... You know, you talk about critical energy thresholds with individuals who have attempted to, say, sustain a higher energy flux state versus maybe even unpick that, what that is just quickly, versus those that are willing to eat less, do less. Like, is there a, is, is it, are they better off, for example, trying to eat more and do more to stay further away from that fat free mass critical state? Or do you think that it's more to do with just the relative deficit, regardless of if it's high or low energy flux? Starting with explaining energy flux, yeah. I guess. So obviously energy flux just refers to either eating more, doing more to sustain the same calorie maintenance, or if you're in a low energy flux, you're eating less, doing less, but stay in the same energy maintenance. So someone could be eating 3,000 calories, but burning off to uh, eating 3,000, but burning off 3,000, they'll stay at energy maintenance. And if someone's eating 2,000, burning off 2,000, they will too stay at energy maintenance. Mm. Energy flux just means you're eating more and doing more to sustain whatever part of that goal is, whether it's Mm. growth, fat loss. Anecdotally, in between individuals, I would lean on the first instance that living in that higher energy flux state is slightly more uh, better for this scenario. Now, obviously, the free fat mass can change. And that obviously, as you add new tissue, that's obviously going to change the part of the equation that will bump critical energy availability threshold up some. But those genetic factors that solidify that, I mean, again, talking anecdotally about with Zoe, having her in a state where she was eating much more food naturally, then suppressing back down meant we had a longer runway to get to that point, even though she did have more muscle mass. And yes, the equation has technically bumped that line up slightly. It was not to the same degree as what you can move your energy maintenance requirements without seeing that change. Yeah, that's, that's important to recognize because essentially we've recognized that getting somebody to have a greater capacity to eat more food is super important because even if you add a kilo of tissue and let's just say that the fat-free mass critical energy threshold was 30 times that fat-free mass, which one more kilo is 30 calories more per day. <laughs> it's, not, it's like a tic-tac. You know, like, yeah. so and unless we're putting on 10 kilos, we're not really shifting that, that, no. that equation all that far. Um, not to say that that doesn't make you more metabolically efficient, therefore you can eat more calories, therefore you're under less stress, et cetera, et cetera, like all of those things 
certainly exist, but um, I like the idea of people being aware of at least somewhat close to what potentially that fat-free mass critical uh, threshold would be, because I think it gives you like a zone of, um, I talked about this actually in a contest prep um, course that we did for STC Fit, where you, you need to understand that there is this point where it is typically associated with REDS, relative energy deficiency in sport, which is somewhat what we're speaking about here, uh, and a lack of energy availability for critical um, you know, organ function and all that kind of jazz. And it's like, oh, you're starting to err on the side of this now. Like, do we have energy output as a means to potentially play with here as opposed to reducing the input and driving us further beyond that? Well, that, that, like I like that you pose that as a question, not mm. as a this is what you should do, because some people are already over-exercising or their life is so full with children and two jobs and study. And so, like, that is a question, not mm. uh, we should definitely be doing more and eating more. It's like, for, like you said, George, for the most part, you know, that seems to be helpful, but we need to be considering individual context. Yeah. As you know, George, I like numbers because I just like to refer to things because they're fun. Is there a number that we could give people that you think is, I assume that it's not going to be obviously completely accurate, is that we can't say everybody's this number. Oh, it's an estimated starting point. An estimated reference point for like where it might become risky for females to experience uh, this threshold. So the, the calculation to actually work it out for each individual on their own consensus would be their energy intake minus their exercise energy expenditure, then divided by their free fat mass to give them an accurate representation of where that is. But on the general uh, look at most populations, it's somewhere around 30. Yeah, so like if uh, for ease of number, 50 kilo female, 20% body fat, 40 kilos is roughly her fat-free mass. Multiply that by 30, 1,200 calories might be like the rough risky number. The reason that this is difficult is like how are you going to estimate somebody's body fat? You know, like even if someone does do – go on, George. It makes it easy when we look at comp prep clients because although we're still dealing with some body fat on the physique, you know if they're skin to the bone, like this is more of an accurate representation of their fat-free mass. But gem populations, the access to actual technology that's going to give them a good indication without any – massive variances or inaccuracies is limited and the yeah. cost of the dexa scans is so much and it's hard like that's not sporadically spaced out around the place i know in the uk i could probably think of two places that have one right, right. they were abundant in australia there's so many in australia there are still a lot of comp preppers that i know male and female natty and not that have a really skewed idea of their body fat. So I know like I got a DEXA scan and I thought I was about 20 and I was 14. I was like, oh, I'm happy with that. But if I was just to have taken a guess, this equation would be way off for me. But I know people on the other end of the spectrum where they're like, I am skinned to the bone. And they like estimated themselves at a body fat where they would literally die. They're like, I'm oh, 3%. Yeah. I'm like, bro, you're at least. 20. Ronnie Coleman was less. He was 0.2, I think he said. Didn't he? <laughs> didn't he say he was like 0.2 on the Joe Rogan? I love it when people make those claims. Like, you would be dead. Like, you that are was, not that. That was a white fish that did that. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. In the skin, yeah. Not only not only removed body fat and thin skin, it just emulsified it. Oh, my God. <laughs> So I think that's the tricky part. Like you're right that looking at someone who's, a, you know, getting ready for a competition, it's easier to estimate. But because a lot of comp preppers get smoke blown up their ass a lot of the time, they might feel like they're leaner than what they are or maybe they're in their own heads and they just, you know, mm. it's the other way around. So I think that's the tricky part. 
Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the, that is very true. Like, I don't think it's going to be super accurate, but even if you take that person, like, there's not many 50 kilo individuals out there, right? Mm-hmm. There's a few. There's not a lot of, of 50 kilo females. They're certainly not the, the greatest proportion. And if they were 20% body fat, mm-hmm. or even if they were, let's just say they were skinned at 10%, and they're an anomaly, right? So then they're 45 kilos times by 30. We're still talking like 1300 calories. And yeah. that's their critical threshold. It's not a lot. Technically speaking. But the point is, like, there's a lot of people that will diet on less than that yep. immediately, and they're heavier. Yeah. So they've already gone beyond that threshold, and people just aren't familiar with how risky that potentially is long term. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Which is yeah. another reason why aggressive fat loss tactics do not work. Mm. Long term. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny uh, how many clients have come to Flex and they're like, no, I'm awesome at dieting. I've got this down pat. I'm like, why are you here? <laughs> the problem is <laughs> people are awesome at doing things for two weeks, one week, one month, whatever. But it's like about what approach can you do for the amount of time that you want this result for, which is likely forever. So what can you do that you can do forever is Mm. the real question. But, yes, when it comes to comp prep, of course, that's a a different question because we're not trying to do anything forever. Comp prep is way more of a yo-yo of get shredded for stage, spend your off-season putting on as much muscle as possible, which really for natties isn't a lot at all. Get shredded for stage again, so we're going up and down. Um, But females, George, this is where this conversation um, uh, was born from between a conversation between me and you. I think even a post you put up, wasn't it? about um, natty females who do comp prep after comp prep, season after season, and just spend way too long in a super lean state and put themselves in a position um, where they're at risk of these health risks later on in life. Yeah, and some of them don't even regain their menstrual cycle post. Some of them will just go straight back into the next prep, having not settled the issue, and then spend two, three years in this prolonged state, which, again, is even more detrimental. The longer you're in this state, the worse the effects get. Um, mm. one thing that we haven't touched on is fertility um, and that kind of ties into the comp prep is a little bit more so than gem pop because it's this cyclical suppression of the HBG axis that can lead to the potential to not regain your uh, your circulating hormones in its entirety at all we see like a down regulation and efficiency of the restarting of the HBG axis every time you suppress it then restart it again there are some individuals who will suppress their HPG axis once and they will not be able to restart it again. There are ends to the ver- to the data. Now, we know that typically amenorrhea is something that is reversible. You get back to your critical energy availability threshold and it's a matter of time before your body then has the energy available to restart that process. But every time you do, there is a slight downregulation on efficiency or production there that eventually you could potentially cross that to a point where you're now not producing enough to even drive the normal processes of being being a fertile female at that point. So the repetitive cycle, uh, sorry, the repetitive competitor compete every year doing this in a natural state, they're going to decrease their chances of being fertile post their time competing or post the time in their career when they want to conceive and have a child. Back to the gem pop people, though, there is still concerns here. Although it is reversible, perhaps the gem pop person might cross this threshold once. They might do it once, realize what's happened, have someone coaching them correctly and get them back out of it and address the problem. But even in that state, even if it's prolonged, you're going to see physiological adaptations to the uh, muscles in the uterine lining, shape of the uterus and the womb, that, okay, you regained your menstrual cycle, that's fine. You've got the hormones necessary with FSH and LH to drive the pregnancy process, actually get a child growing, but we see good correlation of data that with these menstrual uh, 
with these womb changes and muscle changes to the uterine lining that we now see heightened chances of uh, miscarriage um, and early early birth deficiencies of uh, babies not being being born already dead i hate to turn it that morbid but that actual change is not reversible restarting the axes yeah okay most people will be able to redo that but that physical change to the muscular structure of the uterine lining is not reversible so if you go too far that way and you do see a big adaptation and again genetically you might be more prone to this as being a symptom of amenorrhea potentially you might be okay to get pregnant but never be able to actually have the baby again so Mm. big, big considerations outside of just hormones for fertility there that's traumatizing yeah and is this is this potentially like more of an issue when there's more time spent under the curve so to speak yes yeah. so the longer they're exposed to amenorrhea which would obviously be a result of both the repetition of it happening multiple times over multiple years and or an elongated single phase Being those, those morphological changes uh, become worse yeah. So yeah. the longer they're, they're, they're the uh, low estrogen environment that causes those morphological changes and the longer they're in that state for the heightened risk of those, ch- those changes happening and the worse they get over time. Mm. So again, just to go back to the start of the podcast, this is the problem, right? Is that uh, pick a person, A, they go through a comp prep or a fat loss phase. I'll, in this instance, I'll reference comp prep because of the repetition of it. And it's like, oh yeah, I lost my period. Happy days. Like fat loss became more consistent. You know, weight loss became more consistent. Woohoo. You know, all that stuff. Right. Um, and then like two, like a year down there, like, oh, they're giggling because the hair got a little bit thinner. Like, because it's such a, it's such a benign, yeah. like side effect to these things. But then the hair gets thinner and thinner. But then five years later, they found out potentially if they're unlucky genetically that there's some of these like, um, womb changes. I nearly said wound. Wound changes. Yeah. Okay. Wound changes, which is scary, man, because they're the ones, again, these are, these are the, um, what do they call them? Like when you can't see them? Like silent killers. Yeah, like silent silence side effects to mm. uh, to these these times where you've spent in an amenorrheic state. Yeah, I guess it's like pretty normal though to dismiss something when there's such a huge lag time between action and outcome. Like I eat a salad mm. once, I'm not shredded straight away, which is like super unfortunate, isn't it? But I eat a chocolate bar once, I'm also not fat straight away. So people and and addressing these things don't feel like an emergency right now, but just because they're not an emergency right now doesn't mean they're not super important and doesn't mean that they won't be an emergency later. So the sooner we can start these things and take them seriously, the more your, your future self will thank you. And I know it's kind of boring, isn't it? Like addressing um, what's the word I'm looking for? prevention like prevention seems boring because 20 years down the track like nothing happened Mm. but that is so much better than 20 years down the track being in this crisis and wishing wishing that you did something i think anyways yeah oh yeah hypertension and cvd are some of the uh, the the biggest killers of menopausal women like the highest statistics is the the detriment to high health Mm. Surely that should be an indication to people that are maybe experiencing these symptoms of menorrhea now they have maybe a better understanding of it, that this is something that is quite serious and is potentially going to take years off your life, not just maybe interrupt with pregnancy or potentially give you Alzheimer's so you don't really know what's going on, but you're still alive. No, this, this the, the biggest killer is CBD and hypertension. So this is a real physical problem that's happening early doors that you mm. can address if you know what to look out for and you have the right guidance. But ignorance is taking years off your life. If you're the comp prepper who just thinks, ah, it's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I've lost my cycle. It's cool. Ignorance mm. is not bliss. <laughs> no, it definitely no. is not bliss. 
No. No, I often try and tell people like when there's something like this, you know, like forecast forward or try and have some foresight into the fact that the pain that you will experience should the worst outcome exist is still far greater than the pain you may experience for the short term, like things you need to do to make things better. Like, you know, like, oh, I really don't want to have to gain two kilos back of the four kilos I just lost because I've, I've worked so hard. I get it. That sucks. However, kind of better than having fucking up your heart or yeah. your brain or whatever it may be. Yeah. You know? So remember the extreme pain as a, as a means to drive current, current behaviours. Mm. Mm. So, George, if um, some women are listening or maybe some coaches or some people who are concerned about their friends or partners, what might be some advice that you could give to people to reduce their risk or get themselves out of this position? So if they are finding themselves in this position outside of the obvious factor, which is just to eat back up to your critical energy availability threshold, which is going to do predominantly majority of the work, there is a handful of things you should start looking into within supplementation. So firstly, if you know that you're at a heightened risk of uh, heart issues, brain issues, uh, there is also um, bone mineral density concerns. So things like osteoporosis and arthritis risk increasing in this state of low estrogen. Things that you can consider here for supplementation should instantly look along the lines of over-the-counter stuff that's going to help support heart health, brain health, and improve bone mineral density. So things like supplementing calcium uh, around about 1,500 milligram total intake per day. That doesn't mean just taking 1,500 milligrams. It means make sure you look at your dietary intake first and calculate it appropriately to have that 1,500 milligrams as your your top line. Something called acetyl-L-carnitine has shown great uh, data improving pulsatility of luteinizing hormone in the pituitary gland. So will help get the stimulatory process of that reenacting and going. Outside of that, just your typical over-the-counter supplements that are going to improve heart health, things like vitamin K2 to manage arterial health and plaque buildup. Um, keeping an eye on your blood pressure that's not necessarily a supplemented, uh, supplementation thing, but just keeping an eye on those metrics of blood pressure, uh, resting heart rate, potentially looking at in, including cardiovascular work to improve your heart whilst you're working in this problem where it's a heightened risk. Um, and then looking on the lines of certain nootropics, things like NAC that have um, antioxidant properties that we can see localized more so in the brain. Uh, there's just a few recommendations that are going to help you through this timeline whilst you're trying to get things back on track. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Um, and maybe even arguably, would you prophylactically put those in for somebody in a contest prep that we know is going to go through an extreme phase? Right. Yes. Yeah, so uh, towards the back end of that latter stage, if they haven't already got, if they have already gone into the amenorrheic state and they've lost their cycle, those supplements will be added in straight away to tick them boxes and make sure that we are covering some basis of health. If you know you've got a past experience with the individual, you can preemptively put them in leading into that. Um, but definitely, worst case scenario, post-comp, when you're trying to regain the menstrual cycle, they are mandatories. Mm. Mm, for sure. Um, I want to drive home the point that you made, George, that like these supplements are helpful while you're increasing your energy availability. Yes. So it's not like stay lean and take these subs and you're sweet. It's like, no, <laughs> no, not that. We need to be increasing the amount of food we're eating without over-exercising, which is the whole point because we're talking about the scales tipping back towards more energy availability. Um, and when we say energy, like we can say calories, we can say kilojoules, like we're talking about energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a nice prescription. Eat more, maybe move a little bit less if it's excessive. So how, how nice is that? I mean, it's a win. Yeah. 
you know Enjoy and certainly chocolate. whenever i like think about the dieting phase i always think cut food first add exercise later you know then cut food if necessary <laughs> you know the back end when we're trying to like offset some of these potential issues um i think this also just drives home the importance of a micronutrient dense and diverse diet too because in the absence of sufficient calories if we can at least try and offset some of that oxidative stress through fruits and vegetables we're again just doing our part and saying can we please just push this a little bit further down the track don't we just need to eat liver it's true (laughs) and testicles oh my god that only only works if you're taking steroids like the liver king (laughs) yes I'm true. so glad he got exposed. Can I just say? I'm not like, honestly, anyone who's surprised, you shouldn't be because you look at the guy, there's a certain look that somebody who abuses steroids has. And that look is always looking like they have a pump, always looking like they're ready to fight, always being vascular, just all the time, even if they haven't been training, they're just woken up in the morning and they're like, Phew. and that was the liver king. Like a natty person. Does it also not looks like he may have. I've eat up some melanotan. Yeah, you might have. All of this conversation, I'm just trying to hide my face here because that typical look of someone who abuses. I'm just. <laughs> I'm I'm always... Always... You're like, yeah, my muscles always look small. I always look jacked. Mm, <laughs> like, I'm glad I, I wore my shirt for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's such a tosser, isn't he? My gosh. Uh... Tosser of the Year award goes to the Liver King. Yeah. Who gives them out? What would you give us? I give them out. Yeah. Uh, and what is the award? Oh, you can do my dishes. That's the award. Isn't that great? Mm. <laughs> I'd probably clean them with a bear coat or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, George. Have we missed anything? Oh, it's a big topic. I know it is. I'm just trying to think. Like, George, was there something that um, you wanted to say to the audience about this topic that we might have missed? A less shit tip. Okay, maybe something like that. Compreppers, find a coach who understands the female physiology. Don't just think this is something that's transferable between both males and females. You have something instilled in your makeup that makes this a little bit more of a complicated process to navigate. And it should be done correctly because you're potentially risking your life, your uh, years of taking years off your life or potentially taking away the opportunity to conceive and have a children, a child later on in life. Should that be what you wish to do? So think very cautiously about where you place your trust in, in the industry. Make sure you do your research prior to just jumping in with a coach and going, yeah, let's go guns and blazing to prep. For the general population, I'd say try and keep an eye out for symptoms. But again, <laughs> we know how easy these things can be manipulated by all the external variables. Um, keep an eye on your menstrual cycle. Make sure you are tracking your menstrual cycle if you are in a fat loss phase. Always track menstruation um, from the time it happens to the time you get your next bleed. Keep an eye on the intermittent time between those bleeds uh, and notice any anecdotal feedback in changes to uh, heaviness of the bleed or lightness, any changes to maybe spotting instead of a full bleed. Um, Try and take as much data as you can because it will help you piece together the information and be able to see, oh wait, my cycle's a week later than normal. Okay, maybe not too much of a concern okay the next time around it's three weeks later it's now five weeks later you've got the data there to check so if you even general population if you are dieting track your menstrual cycle Mm. Uh yeah it's it's really interesting um at what stage people lose their periods like i think i've only lost mine three times in my whole life um because i don't stay really really lean i probably hang around what like 16 17 percent body fat Mm. something like that but i i lose mine when i get to like 
13, 14%. But I know girls who walk around way leaner and still have it and girls who get to 20% body fat from being heavier and they're like, I've lost it. So there's no number that yeah. we're looking out for. It's symptomatic. It's like person to person. Yeah. Mm. The other thing too is that the energy is stored inside fat. Mm-hmm. And although that, that critical threshold is typically we're talking about inputs versus outputs, in my experience also, some girls just will not get theirs back until they return to baseline fat. And that's just the harsh reality. Like I've overfed girls something silly in a post-comp phase before, and it's like no period, no period, no period, no period. Oh, you just hit that same weight that you were at before we started dieting, period. Like, yeah. hey, how you doing? So yep. some people are different there too, unfortunately. You just have to, you know, understand the cards you dealt. The time of the phase as well, like we said, it changes how long it's going to take for it to come back. But again, tying back into you, the, your comment there on body fat and how much more body fat they've got to regain. Anecdotally, with Zoe again, to regain her menstrual cycle after her first natural prep with her coach, she was, I think, uh, close to 16 months total without. Oh. It is torturous psychologically to sit there and have to be the coach and the partner to. I know what we've got to do now. I know how uncomfortable this is going to be. The amount of body fat you're going to have to recruit, you're not going to like this. It's torturous, Get, even having to try and reverse that. And the psychological effects that I saw firsthand of how that can affect the mental state, uh, you know, leading into some of these more depressive natures, it's just not worth it. It's really not worth it going to that place. So make sure you get on top of it nice and quickly. And if you've been in there in that extended window for too long, get it addressed ASAP because you're making the, the fix, the, the solution to the problem a lot harder. Yeah. yeah. I've been asked the question before a couple of times of like, how does, how do a client find a good coach? And I, I don't struggle with the question, but like it's so multifactorial that I'm yes. kind of like, ah, but I think for females, this is actually like a pertinent one. And that it's probably worth just asking the question of like, have you had clients in the past that have, gone amen or eat or lost their cycle what are some of your typical strategies to get back with that or are you okay with me not having it for the period of my prep and then what would you do after it do you think that women are just small men yeah well maybe maybe don't use that one but you know so like because the, the it's probably less important about like what the person will say but more so how they'll go about thinking about it and they may as long as they're honest about it you know like if they're like i oh, know it's no big deal well yeah probably not the coach for you um, unless you don't care about all of the things we've spoken about on today's podcast. I think it's, it's important though, outside of the corporate realm as well, even with lifestyle coaches, mm. people that work with the general population, that there still needs to be a foundation of understanding of this because they could still cross into this. And if you are none the wiser and the client's none the wiser. Yeah. Big problem. Especially if the undertone of that fat loss phase is to be for life. Yes. If they lose their period and this is what I've got to do in order to sustain the physique that I've, I'm, I'm working towards, I guess I've got no period now. Like that's, that's actually even worse because there's, there's a, a lack of clarity around what's happening and what is necessary to sustain the results. So good point, George. Good point indeed. Fist bump through this. Uh, <laughs> George, uh, to start wrapping up the podcast, we're going to ask you for, so you've given an awesome less shit tip. But is something worth sharing with the audience? If you come to the UK, <laughs> there is a barbecue restaurant called Bluegrass Barbecue in High Wycombe. It looks like a dive. Don't judge the area. Don't judge the place. Judge the food. Judge the service. And you will be blown away with American standard barbecue cooking. Okay. What's it called? Bluegrass Barbecue. It's a small little independent 
You know what I feel like it's going to look like? Send me the link and I'll link it in the show notes. I feel like it's going to look like um, the guy from uh, House of Cards. Oh, do you watch, have you watched House of Cards? I haven't. There's the, the guy who becomes the president loves eating at uh, this little rib joint. I forget the guy's name as well. I'm getting stuck on like Terry or Jerry or something. I don't know. Like that, I don't know. But yeah, what, what you're describing reminds me it's of It's like that. a shithole looking place, but he loves his pork ribs. <laughs> um, also, we need to send Joe and the crew then that have just gone to Texas because they've just eaten Texas barbecue in Texas. So he needs to go here and do some comparison. Now. That'll, that'll be the test. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Now we have a hot topic for you. Uh, now, this is not something that has a right or wrong answer. It's just an opinion. We'd like to hear your opinion, and we usually ask a question that's kind of controversial. It's always um, sticky. This is always sticky, though, because my opinion could be hated by the masses. That's, that's fine. Let's see. The then the, the, the key here is to just stop and pause and think about it. Yeah. All right. So the question is, for individuals who are selling a service, in the that, fitness industry. In the fitness industry, whereby they may use their physique as a means to promote their service. If they are under the influence of performance-enhancing drugs, do they have the ethical or moral responsibility to inform their viewership of that, or do they not? Now, this is something I've given a lot of thought to. Okay. Oh, good. Depends on, on if they're selling themselves for marketing and saying, you know, you want to look like me or look what I've achieved in X amount of weeks, but they're not highlighting the fact that they are using physique enhancing drugs. That is wrong. They should be telling the true story here so that people can see realistically what it took to get them look like them. But should they just be using their body image as a marketing tool, but they are promoting and preaching good foundations of education and knowledge and coaching. I don't see an issue in that because they're not saying. You can look like me. Okay, no, I quite like this distinction. Yeah. So I've seen both sides of it. I've seen people that work with general populations but are enhanced and compete but only work with gen pop um, and are quite open about what they do and all of their clients are quite understanding of where that's going to go. But on the flip side, I see multiple dickheads in the industry that look all enhanced and nines, taking everything under the sun, and they literally put on their posts, do you want to look like me in their advertisement? Like, mm. Mm. You know what, even if somebody isn't taking physique uh, enhancing drugs, like if they're completely natural and they say, do you want to look like me Buy my meal plan, you're a dickhead because people, you can, like if someone follows exactly your plan or even if you write this completely custom program for that person, they might just look like the best version of themselves. They're not going to look like you. Mm. Like that's a ridiculous thing to say, drugs or no drugs. But I really like your distinction, George. It's, It's quite wise. I don't think I disagree. Neither do I. It was boring. <laughs> I, I think Dean wanted you to say something that he could tear apart. No, no, like, no. You're wrong. Not at all. <laughs> no, actually, I didn't. Like, as soon as you, as you were saying it, I'm like, I agree with this. I might just go now. <laughs> it, depends, it depends massively on if the person's an arsehole or not. That's, that's what but, we're arguing over. Is this person a nice human being or are they just a dickhead? <laughs> I think we're all sick of hearing about the liver king, but just to bring him up as an example, because we're all familiar with him, I have a huge problem with him because not only is he a ridiculous human being with a lot of ridiculous advice, but um, he has many supplement companies he openly admitted that he brings in like was a hundred million dollars a month of revenue between all of, and he was promoting his body, which is clearly um, enhanced by physique enhancing drugs. Um, and he's trying to sell 
just regular over-the-counter supplements, vitamins, minerals, whatever. Mm. And he says shit like through these, what is it, like six primal something or other, you can increase your testosterone every year. I've doubled it and doubled it and doubled it over a 20-year period. It's like, no, you have no idea how this works. <laughs> you just That's doubled not your how toes. this works. <laughs> At all. He is the king, though. Oh, my God. He's the Donald Trump. King of fucking douchebags. That is, that is him in the notes of the Donald Trump of the fitness industry. Like that. <laughs> Isn't he? Yeah. That is so him. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, uh, he really is. Um, we should get someone to do up a whole bunch of like head swaps, you know, like uh, like a celebrity well-known individual head on a well-known fitness professional's body <laughs> as like the the mix. So like it'd be Liver King's physique with Donald Trump's head to say he's the Trump of this oh. industry. Who else would we have? There's so many good options. Yeah, there are. But anyway, Don't probably name drops. whoever like the biggest nerd is, we could put Bill Gates head on. Whoever, oh, no, maybe he should go on the people whoever wants to kill the most amount of people, right? That's what Bill Gates does, tries to kill off the entire population. <laughs> that's, yeah. Now we're getting into conspiracy theories. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty sure that's what I heard he does. Yeah, you know? that's definitely what Bill Gates does. <laughs> George, we're going to finish with the would you rather. Yes, bring on a lot of these. Would you rather, I'm going to give you two, have nose hair so long that it goes to the same length as your mo? Or what's the issue? It's another mustache. What? Anyway, continue. Sorry. Coming out of I mean, nose. You didn't see me last week before Zoe plucked them out. They <laughs> might as well have been integrated. Well, you cannot manage them at all. You just have to leave your nose hair. Okay. Mm-hmm. You really look. And when the wind blows, you kind of feel them like blowing in the yeah. wind, you know? Or. So he constantly looks like big witched, basically. Because he'd be. <laughs> constantly. Right. Not be able to cut your fingernails. For five years. Oh, man. How long do you have to have the stash for? Forever. A forever versus five years? Yeah, so you're going to take the short, you're going to take the shorter term anyway. If it was, if it was forever, that's both examples forever. I... But the mo, the like nostril hair isn't debilitating other than socially. Like and, with the fingernails. And does it stop at the lip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the same like length as his mo. His mo doesn't So he can trim it. it. To the length, of, to his the length of his mouth. Like, think about the fingernails. You wouldn't be able to wipe your own butt. Training would be really hard because you can't grip things with it. Because nails get years. so long that they but start it, curling. I'm going to try and find a loophole here. So I'm not going to cut them, but what if they break? Nah, you just have to maintain they're, long nails. They're, they're, they're indestructible. <laughs> they're indestructible. <laughs> Fucking Wolverine's nails. I'm going to go with the nose hair on this one because I can style it into the mo and get a little French tassel on yeah. if, if I need to. <laughs> I think if you have a mustache, that's an easy choice because it's it's integrated, like you said. Oh, perfect but, word. Yeah. No, it's it's integrated. There's no. very few people it, that get close enough to realize that that's nose hair. No, it's different. And you could you could just start. Uh, what's that fucking shit eyebrow that people get again? Oh, laminate. laminate. Yeah, girls don't do that. Yeah. Or boys definitely don't do that either. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, laminate your nose hairs into your mustache. Okay. I would rather have nostril hairs that are length of my mustache, so long as they finish at the top of my lip, okay. than have a mustache that goes below my lip like some people allow it to. Yeah, some people do. Oh, it's, so aggravating. it's so aggravating. Why? I don't know. Like, why? And you, you, you chew in and you, you feel something tug from your lip in here and you're like, what is that? Oh, yeah. it's <laughs> my face still. It's now in my mouth. Great. Yeah, and then, like, you can't eat. It's hard enough to eat a burger with a normal mustache, let alone yeah. one of those. These bits are the bane of my life. Yeah. For those just listening, George is pointing to the mo that's either side of his lip, the <laughs> ones that connect to the beard. 
below. The French twisters. Um, now, the second would you rather, George? Yes. Would you rather be on a first date and you've only just picked her up, you're in the car, it's going well, you like her. You know where this is going. No, I, I feel like you should be doing the neck thing. And this is what I'm going to oh, do. Oh, okay, this is good. All right. I play this game with Dean. I'm going to say like three <laughs> times a week. I'm like, would you rather this or this? And he's All like, right, so she, he's on a first date. All right, you're on a first date. You're in the car. You just picked her up. Things are going well and you fart. Would you rather fart like this? Okay. That's long. Right. <laughs> or like this. I'm going to have to go with the second one. I Easy choice. <laughs> All right, let me start again. Come in and just cough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they were too easy. Would you rather fart like this? <laughs> it you look really squeaky. Yeah. <laughs> or, I fucking love this game. Or, like this. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> one really high pitched and one low and what if it's yeah what if it's more like a no. <laughs> okay one of those just like airy sounding ones yeah. but you or still hear the first high pitched one oh my god ah uh, uh, no it, it kind of depends on the person you're on a date with if she likes like a masculine man you, if you let off like this squeaky little tiny little <laughs> fart she can be like what the fuck is this Kind of, you do a full blown proper man fight. So uh, George's English. I can't. I can only just imagine him going. You're right. <laughs> and he'd be like, "Actually, am." Yeah. All right. What That's is your on the reaction? That is literally what they would say. <laughs> You're right. Okay, I'm going to change the question. What type of fart would you prefer to do on a first date? So one where I prefer we don't shit myself at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's a good. Start. No, I I think I'll go with the squeaky one in order to the even even the would you rather. I'll definitely go with the squeaky one. Okay. You can mask it better. You could be like, oh, what was that? But I, <laughs> no, but I think if it, if it's short and sharp like that, you can just be like, oh, sorry, I do apologize. That was an accident. <laughs> but if you sit there and do like a fucking stepbrother's fart, like in that <laughs> in that interview, the one that goes, you're not trying to keep that in. Where you actually, it's out. coming out, and you have to then look at them and like, yeah, it's still happening. <laughs> You can't excuse that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good having you on the show, George. I do hope, listeners, you adopt this game with your partner and or friends or both. Play mm. it in the workplace, on your lunch breaks. Play it all the time. Just maybe ask for permission. No, don't. You... Just blow farts on people's necks <laughs> and be like, would you rather? <laughs> it's a great game. Strangers. Play it with strangers at the bus stop. You should do that. Back of the hamstrings where you get the best fart noise. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just trying to encourage really inappropriate. I was going to say, I'm going to have to try that now. You, <laughs> you know what I reckon might actually be an interesting place to do this? On the back of the elbow once you squeeze all the skin together. Because you, um, you get a lot of reverberation in that, I'm sure. Maybe. Look, I'm going to try blowing farts around different places of Dean's body. And maybe in the next podcast we'll let you know where the best place is. I actually love the neck. I think the neck is a great place, but. But Dean needs to actually gain some goddamn body fat because then you could do his belly and you could be like, oh my God, this is epic. Trust me, off season, <laughs> raspberries on the belly. <laughs> Dean, do you get your period anymore? No. <laughs> I'm definitely amenorrhea. You are. <laughs> um, now, if anyone wants to check out Shorty, flexcoach underscore George, I believe, on Instagram, isn't it? Mm. Okay. Otherwise, head over to flex underscore success. If you found uh, value in this podcast, 
please do screenshot and share. Share it with friends. Leave us a five and a half star review, five or not mm. And uh, we'll see you in the next and episode. And maybe record your farts and post them on your story. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Just, just <laughs> blow farts on random people's necks. Everyone will love it. I promise. All right. Bye, everyone. See ya.